The Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D.com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. been in a series called Identity, Intimacy, and Inheritance, and I'm still there, but I subtitled my message today so it would sound a little different, and it's called The Birthright of Sons, The Birthright of Sons. So we've been learning, you know, over and over and over the last few weeks who we are in Christ as sons and daughters of God, amen? And I like to start in the, with the verse in the King James Version, the Galatians, uh, Galatians 4, 7, where it says this, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, H-E-I-R, not A-I-R, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. And then in Romans 8.14, the New King James Version, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen? Now let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 15. I'll start in verse 11, read through verse 32. But Luke 15, verse 11, again, like I said last week, I don't know if you remember, but it says in the caption in my Bible, the parable of the lost son. But when you read verse 11, which starts the parable, it says, a certain man had two sons. So I'd like to look at this parable as the parable of the lost two sons. Because you're going to find at the end that the elder brother who stayed home was still lost. He had some real issues. And we'll talk about those today. So Luke 15, 11, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So many of us have understood that he gave him all of his inheritance. He didn't. So just so we know. So he divided to them his livelihood. Them is plural. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. 
And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. I mean, Jews and swine don't go together. (laughs) And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, amen? How many, many people need to still come to themselves in this world? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? And I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, that's the problem with most people today in the church. They see themselves as hired servants. They don't see themselves as sons and daughters of God. And that's a problem. That presents a lot of problems. Amen? And he arose, verse 20, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, not his sons, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. These were all covenant symbols of the covenant between the father and the son. They were the father's robe, the father's ring, the father's sandal. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found, and they began to be merry and celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. Isn't it incredible that the son had a better relationship with the servants than with his own father? He had no no relationship with the father at all, except that he was a hired servant. That's how he saw himself, a servant. I'm just a servant. So that's how he saw himself. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. This is the biggest one. The biggest fatted calf. In verse 28, look at the response of this lost older son who never went anywhere. Didn't go out and prodigal live or anything. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I'm not saying sons don't serve, but you serve from the identity of a son. Your identity is not a servant. Wherefore, thou art no more 
a servant. Galatians 4, 7. Thou art a son. Amen? I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, now he's not even my brother at this point, this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. In verse 31, and he said to him, the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. If we could get the church to get this revelation, we could stop a lot of evil in this world. Evil would not be able to continue to go. It would stop in its tracks. And it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I mean, it's mind-boggling to try to imagine how much the older brother forfeited as a result of his servant thinking system, his servant mentality, how he thought. Think of the daily grind of duties that he performed, hoping to be noticed by his father and rewarded accordingly. See, a servant wants to be rewarded. A son doesn't need a reward because he lives in the house with the father. See, reward always means one thing, world. It's the world. What the sons get is the inheritance of all that Jesus got, you got. That's the inheritance. Difference between reward. I don't about you guys, but I don't want no reward. I want inheritance. Amen? But think of the joy that he could have experienced in pressing in to know his daddy and the obvious depths of love, favor, and generosity that would have enriched, reassured, and blessed him. Instead, we see an angry, bitter man who never came to know his father. We have a lot of people in the church. They don't know daddy. They don't know his heart. They don't know his love. Why, when you get that inside of you, you can never be the same again. I mean, never. And lived in prison in a system of justice and fairness. I mean, Instead, we have this angry, bitter man who never came to know his father and lived imprisoned in a system of justice. We have a lot of Americans today yelling for justice. It's not what we want. What we want is the father's heart. And fairness that never seemed to lean towards his benefit. We see a legalistic, blinded man by his sense of justice and cheated out of his birthright as the eldest son, by the shackles of a servant mentality. Church, we're sons and daughters of God. We see an upright performer continually frustrated out of, the, out of his sought-after reward by the apparent unfairness of a father who seemed not to notice how hard he was trying we got a lot of people today who are striving and trying to please God as much as they can. And what we have here is a poster boy for the 20th century saved to serve. 
saved to serve. And there's a lot of churches today would love to just have you around to serve. Uh, I just, it's amazing. Saved to serve Christianity as it, at its religious, legalistic worst. See, the most powerful statement of the covenant rights of every believer is made in the passage from Luke 15. In it, the Father stated, in essence, what are the two fundamental birthrights of a son and daughter as related to Father God. There are many other rights, but there are all that compass those two rights stated by the Father. What wonderful words Jesus placed in the Father's mouth. What a grand revelation we're given as the father answered to this boy, son, after he lived a prodigal life. He came back home. And what did he call this boy? Did he call him a servant? He called him a son. No matter what he did, no matter how he did it, no matter how bad it was, no matter how far he was, when he came home, which means when he left, he was a son. And when he was out there, he was a son. And when he came home, he was a son. His identity never changed. That speaks volumes to us about how we can treat those who suddenly, a lot of people in Christianity call it backslidden. I don't call it that. I call it mistaken identity. They know who they are. Down deep in their hearts. But they're running away. And though the older brother said to himself as a servant with the responsibilities of perfect obedience and impeccable service, the father even called him a son. And how, oh, how we need the spirit of sonship who indwelt Jesus to boom into the darkest recesses of our innermost being with that affirmation, son, son. And all of you, male or female, you could all call yourselves sons of God. It's not about gender. It's about who you are in relationship to your father. How much we need him to destroy that high thing of a servant mentality that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look at that in 2 Corinthians. That's, another, that's a stronghold that, that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is the obedience of Christ? The finished work of the cross. It is finished. It is done. He did it all for us. And we get to enjoy everything he purchased for us. We don't have to strive for anything. We could just live in his rest. See, that reasoning or argument, as the New King James Version of the Bible translates it, literally it means a system of thought. How do you think? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as merely a servant of God? Or do you see yourself as a son of God? There's a big difference here. Because when you see yourself as a servant of God, you're looking for commandments. You're looking for things to do. You want to strive to earn the Father's love when you don't have to. It's a free gift. It needs to be destroyed by the truth of what God has redeemed us to be. We're not to be servants. We are to be his sons and daughters. 
Boy, that just takes care of a lot of mess. And as the father addressed the older brother as son, Jesus did not use the usual Greek word, huos. Rather, he used the word technon. The significance of this choice of word is powerful because had he used the word huos, Jesus would have been emphasizing the nature of the relationship between the father and his son. But it could, and it could be used of an adopted son, but in every place where the son is used in this story, this Greek word that is utilized, why does Jesus change the word? The word technon is derived from the word tektu, which means to beget, to bring forth and bear a child. Everywhere in this parable, that Greek word is used. And the emphasis of this word is not on the nature of the relationship. He could not use this word for the younger brother because technically... When he took off, according to the father in verse 24 of Luke 11, Luke 15, verse 24, the father declared the boy dead. Remember, we just read it. No longer did his natural birth have any bearing on his relationship with the father. He was restored to the relationship of sonship by the mercy. By the mercy, say mercy. By the mercy of the Father and through the covenant symbols. What were the covenant symbols? The robe of righteousness. The ring of authority. The sandals on his feet. And the celebration of a fatted calf. Especially through the shed blood of a fatted calf. His natural birth no longer had significance. And that's how you have to begin to see yourselves. It's not your natural birth that's important. It's your spiritual birth that outweighs everything. However, when the older brother, the father, was drawing attention away from the state of the relationship to the foundation which it was based, the older brother viewed his relationship with the father in terms of one thing, how he performed. He could only think servant mentality, could only think performance. I've got to obey all the commandments. If you want to obey all the commandments in the Bible that the Pharisees think there are there, there's 614. You just go on ahead. Just keep going until you're totally exhausted and wore out. Then you'll come back to Jesus. See, the Father's focus was on the genetic bond. The Father saw him as a son, not because of obedience, but because of birth. Not because of service, but because of a seed. Here is the basis of our sonship. Child of God, you're not a son or daughter because of your faithful service, but because you were born of God's seed. You did not qualify to be a child of God by what you did. You have received the nature of a son and daughter by new birth. John chapter 3. And go to this scripture, 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. I got a lot of people who don't like this scripture who are born again. They don't like it. It's because of identity and intimacy, how you see yourself. 
for his for his for God's seed remains in them and they cannot sin because they've been born of God. First Peter 1.23, it says in the New King James, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then John 1, 12 and 13, New King James. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children, sons and daughters of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, natural birth, nor of the will of man, human initiative, power and ability, but of God. And the same word, sperma, is used in Greek for the sperm of conception, for the seed of the word of God. Like the son in the story, our right to be to the position of a son does not come through our own performance or ability. It is established by the fundamental truth of the gospel that God has begotten us as sons and daughters by his seed, which is his word. A lot happens when we're born again that sometimes takes us a lifetime to discover. Are you with me? Aren't you glad God's given you a lot of years to get it together? Amen? See, the old voices from the past are always intent on convincing you that you have been disqualified. You're not good at keeping commandments. You're not good at striving. Disqualify from the blessings and the benefits of being a son and from the joy of an intimate fellowship with the Father because of your failure to live up to an impossible standard of perfection. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus preached to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, saying to them, the law can't do it. Only I am your answer, your Savior, Jesus. I had to come because you can't do it. Jesus is the one who saves us. Amen? See, it's imperative that you arm yourself against these voices of doubt and negativity with the word of God in your mouth so that when it comes at you, you can come back at it. As in the case with the healing in your body, it is vital to your victory that you never ever vary your words spoken of the truth of what God says about you even though your conduct that determines your sonship, but your sonship that shapes and governs your conduct. Like I said, if you really know who you are in Christ, a son of God, you don't sin no more. 1 John 3, 9, mark it down, memorize it. 1 John 3, 9, mark it down, memorize it. What does it say? He who is born of God does not sin. That's what it says. You would have, don't fight with me. You can go fight with that. You want to fight, fight that. I have no problem with it. I don't. We must declare we are sons and daughters of God all through the day. Even when the voice of the past wants to tell us we're not. You're disqualified, you failed, you're no good, you can't make it. All you have to do is say, no, I don't know what voice you are, but no, I'm a son of God. 
I'm a daughter of God. All day. All night if I have to. Through the night. Amen? God has made us his sons. By our new birth, we are sons. Amen? I have my father's nature and character because his sperm, his seed, remains in me when I was born again. The Greek present tense, continuous action in me. For that reason, I do not continue in deliberate, habitual sin because I'm a son. He has sent the Holy Spirit to me, to us, to guarantee my, our sonship, my, our inheritance, and to express the Father's nature. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I like, let's start in verse 2. Just Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things. Say all things. That means nothing's left out and you lack nothing. Say all things. That pertain to life right now, this life right here. Not on the here, not when I get to the here by and by, I won't sin no more. No, it's here. It's here. And the godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. Read Romans 6. When you get some time this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, read Romans 6. It'll tell you all about what's gone. You can read Galatians 2.20. The old man is crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All that stuff that I used to do, I don't do it no more. It's gone. New birth. Sperma. The seed. The word of God. Took care of it. Amen. Now by the Holy Spirit indwelling me, I can cry out with confidence, Daddy, I'm home. Abba. Remember what I said last week about A-B-B-A, Abba, Father. The Father said to his elder son, Son, you are always with me. Luke 15, 31. You are always with me. You're never alone. You're never alone. So if somebody you know says they feel alone or lonely, give them Luke 15, 31. Because God says you're always with me. And this is the most majestic statement of our position as sons and daughters of God. We are always with him. Our birthright is uninterrupted fellowship and intimacy with the Father. Uninterrupted. Someone may be gasping because they have been taught in the past that sin interrupts their fellowship with God. And I'm sure you've heard many of a preacher tell you that God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. But you must remember this parable which talks about the Father clothing you with his robe of righteousness right after you were sinning pretty bad. He didn't reject his son and say, uh, 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 no, 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 no. You have to go, go with your big brother over there and serve, get the servant mentality and serve me for about 20 years and then we'll talk. That's the law. That's not mercy. See, the Pharisees had a problem with mercy. They wanted justice, but they didn't want mercy. 
Because in James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? Amen. We do not have the right to intimidate fellowship with the Father based on our good works, but because he has declared, he has declared us to be righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 declares us to be righteous. It's a gift through our believing in Jesus Christ. Therefore, God does not see my failures. He does not see my disobedience. He doesn't even see my sin. He sees his robe. He sees his own righteousness covering us at the expense of Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood, what a wonderful truth. 1 John 3, 9, again, I'll say it again. Whoever has been born of God, your birthright does not sin for his seed, sperma. Sperma, his nature remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now the Bible does say in Romans 6, you can yield your members to unrighteousness if you want. And you go get some ugly things that have happened to you. But consequences will teach you. If you're doing something ugly, you're going to get something back. Okay? But you don't have to. You could yield yourself to righteousness all the time. We have power over sin. Thanks, honey. My breakthrough of revelation with this transformation came from accompanying release of revelation. The word of God flows because I have let go of a servant mentality. And now, now I know without a doubt that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of I'm a son of God. Amen? And receiving the spirit of adoption, who is the spirit of revelation. You want to get downloads of revelation from God? Just understand who you are in Christ, a son of God. See, knowing the deep things of God, he began to reveal his nature to me, helping me to know who I am in Christ. And there are ways for everyone in this room a place of intimate fellowship that I know you long for and that is already yours. How many long for that with the Father? To know the deep things. To know the revelation of the Father's love for you. Amen? But do not make the same mistake as the older brother. Do not spend your entire life learning about God but never knowing him. A lot of people learn about God but never know Him. And if you try to know Him at a distance, you will be offended by His actions. You must know His ways as distinct as from His acts. Let's go to Psalm 103, verse 7. Well, it says in verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. See, the only way you can come to know his ways is when you know his heart. What's the Father's heart? His heart is that none, none, would, none would perish, but all would be led to a repentance. That all would repent and come to Jesus. That's the heart of the Father. Let's go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Verse 4, 
David had a request. How many know who David is? He had a request. He said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And in verse 10, God complied. Same Psalm, verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. I don't hear anything about judgment. I don't hear about anything about rejection. I reject you because you sinned. That father never rejected that boy when he came back. In fact, when he saw him afar off, the Bible says he ran to him. Amen? All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. And just like the older brother we talked about in Luke 15 who never pressed into his father's heart and so did not understand his father's ways, it is so easy for us to be offended at some of the things that God thinks or talks about or claims or declares about us. People get offended how God thinks about how he sees us. He's merciful, and his ways are mercy and truth. Catch this one. You want to write this, this one down in your eyelids. God is merciful, and his ways are mercy and truth, but they are not always fair. Determine today that you will no longer forego your wonderful privilege of pressing into intimate fellowship with your father and his heart. It's okay to say, Daddy, can I sit on your lap? I'm home. I'm tired. I need your help. Can I sit on your lap? I mean, daddies like when daughters and sons like to sit on their lap. Amen? And he longs to reveal the deep things of his heart to you. When you know your father's heart, then you will know the extravagance of his love and the extravagance of his generosity, of his covenant endowments lavished on you. That, my sons and daughters, is your birthright in Christ, the new covenant. Amen? Amen. 